Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? You know, I appreciate you saving your voice, uh, not hitting the the high notes on the intro because, um, you know, we don't really have that much to talk about. I guess we do, but we don't, you know. The Bearcats are starting off 4-0, predictably. Um, we've cracked the, the top 100 of Kempom, predictably. We're on our way to what I will predict at some point, probably to, probably today, uh, a top 25, top 30 ranking in Kempom, if not uh, the AP voters, sometime uh, around December 28th. Uh, that's that's kind of my target date for for this. If I'm looking at fun performance here, so with that all all that in mind, we got another top five ranking from the CFP Corruption Committee. It is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat sports fan. And look, this isn't really a therapy session, but it kind of is. You guys are getting an extra one this week. Enjoy it. <laughs> That was an incredibly long-winded intro. I I may I don't know what's happened since I'm since trying to save your voice. I'm trying, I'm trying to save your voice. You're you're doing. I appreciate it. I appreciate you looking out for me. Um, look, we're we're dedicated Hummer to giving two podcast episodes a week. So I don't actually consider this to be a bonus episode. I will say it's it's a bonus because we we handedly beat number two hundred and seventy-five in the Kempom rankings. Presbyterian. We also beat in, in between our last podcast 331. Alabama AM. Two yeah. stalwarts in college basketball. Sure, 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 sure. There's not necessarily anything to really beat our chests over when it comes to the Bearcat basketball team, but I will say that they have started four now. They have three very convincing victories where we are we are simply we are getting to enjoy the flair and razzle-dazzle of C.J. Anthony at the end. We are getting to enjoy a Sam Martin pick six going the other way for a layup. Um, look, that's not something we've been too accustomed to over the last 18 to 24 months as Cincinnati Bearcats basketball fans. So I do think lots to talk about in terms of uh, how the team has performed four games into the season as always, the Bearcats football team remains at number five in the college football playoff. TBD on whether they can play their way up the rankings. ESPN does a hell of a lot of talking about how they can play their way down or how other teams can pass them, but how Alabama can remain at number two, even if they lose games in the future. It's all, it's all nonsense, people, but we will get into that a little bit as well. And thank you for bearing with me and my voice uh, if there's any doctors out there, get, give your boys some tips on how not how to not lose my voice three times in a year. But you, you got the you got nodes, man. You got nodes. <laughs> <laughs> like pitch perfect. I can't hit the high notes anymore. <laughs> um, let, let's hit on it first because it's not going to take long to talk about this. And you know the CFP rankings every week they're they're out there Tuesday we're actually recording after they're out for the first time in a while not on a not on a Saturday Sunday um i think the path for the bearcats getting in the playoffs is actually pretty simple i think it's laid out in front of us and it involves us doing one thing and one thing only and that's winning 
I don't think it matters at this point how much we win by. It's just win. So if it's a last second field goal, which I, I don't think that's going to happen against SMU, but just win, just beat SMU, just beat Houston. And it's all up to what teams in front of us do. If, if, or when I'm going to say the word, when Oregon loses this weekend, Bearcats are in, right? I think that's, that's the number one scenario that, that gets us in as an Oregon loss. Ohio state losing doesn't necessarily get it done because it's big 10. And a lot of those teams are also sitting at one loss that they're going to be playing. So a one loss big 10 team is getting in. That's, that's a foregone conclusion. We know that's what the, what's going to happen. So probably a two loss big 10 team, to be honest with you. Like I, I have a hard time envisioning them keeping any, I don't think the big 10 is going to get excluded from the playoff. I think there's the sec where uh, it's if Ohio where it's, state. If Ohio, if there's a two loss big 10 team, I wouldn't be surprised if we see someone like Notre Dame, Notre Dame jump up. Cause that's also who I would see taking over an Alabama on a two loss would be Notre Dame. Right. I don't, I don't want to focus too much on, on the CFP and viewing everything. Well, through that lens. We're just talking. I said, it's not a, it's not a long conversation because it's, that's the, that's the scenario. That's right. It. Right, right. Black right. and white. There's no controversy for it anymore. I think it's worth mentioning that based on the comments we heard from Barda Herb street and just the, the, the establishment establishment media at ESPN post rankings this week. I think if, if anything, it proved that we really never needed to focus on anything but winning football games to begin with. I don't think these style points, these mis- mythical style points that we've put so much stress and energy and, and dialogue into over the past four or five weeks really mattered that much because at the end of the day, as the Bearcats move into a portion of their schedule that we should be excited about because we're playing an SMU team uh, that's very formidable, that is on the fringe of being a top 25 team, that has been an AP top 25 team during the season. Um, We're moving into playing them this week at home. We're moving into um, an AAC championship game uh, that that will be a face-off against Houston that is currently in the playoff top 25. So, the, the narrative should be shifting to now the Bearcats have, have opportunities to legitimately play their way into the playoff and pass teams uh, like a struggling, limping, very overranked Oregon team. But that's not the conversation because they don't, they don't view Bearcat games like that. They don't get viewed as having an opportunity to play their way in. It's more, you should be thankful to be here. And if you so if you get lucky enough where enough teams lose two games maybe just maybe the unthinkable will happen so i think if anything that has been confirmed this week which is good because now we have three games left and we get to really enjoy bearcat football in all its greatness where it's hey let's go out there play the best defensive game possible against the most dangerous offense we have faced uh in 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 weeks and and frankly maybe all season to be honest with you and, and how do we get, is Jerome Ford going to play? And can we get Des Ritter to lock whoa, whoa, whoa. in? Are we and getting be- into it? Are we getting into the, the injury report? No, I'm just kidding. We'll, <laughs> we'll skip that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, can we get the team as locked in uh, as they were for, for two and a half quarters against USF? It feels good because we're filing to the point where it's at the, it's, it literally is this. Survive in advance. Be, be the better team on Saturday. Like that's, that's the game right now is be the better team on Saturday. Us as Bearcat fans, let's just have some fun. Let's watch some football because at the end of the day, 
we know we know what it takes. Like you just mentioned, we don't have the ability to play our way in. But here's kind of what I'm am kind of thinking from the the tone that people are taking around the Bearcats is I think they're starting to see the inevitability here that Oregon's going to lose to Utah, and they're going through this bit of a post postmortem, the five stages of grief. They haven't just gotten to acceptance yet. You know, they're still deny, 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 you know, and uh, that's sad. I feel bad for them. I I truly feel sorry for the the Herb Derp Streets of the world because, you know, that's a sad way to live, you know, not recognizing real, right? Real recognize real, which is what Georgia Bulldogs have been giving us all the credit for. Their fans have been giving us the credit for it. Kirby Smart's been giving us the credit for it. And look, this is the same team that that played the same Georgia team this year. And I was reading uh, the first, uh, what's to say this, the first uh, mind-altering article in a while. Justin Williams had a really good, a good uh, expose on that Georgia game where he talks about the players that were actually out. There was only three players from Georgia that were actually missing from that game. Did you hear that? Yeah, I, I did. I know it, it's it's greatly over exaggerated. So not worry about it anymore. Look, Bearcats are going to the playoff. It's happening. That ESPN needs to put that check mark at a hundred percent for the Bearcats. They're in. It doesn't matter. It's gonna happen, and it's gonna happen because Oregon does suck. They're gonna lose at least one, if not two games. That's gonna happen, and the Bearcats are gonna slide right up in there. My ultimate dream scenario, though, which we talked about last week, is is I want to see an Ohio State University Cincinnati matchup week one. And then I want to see a rematch of UC. You know what? Give me the dogs. We want we want the dogs. What what was the line that we used? We don't uh, mind. A few weeks we don't. Back? We don't it's mind right. the dogs. We don't mind the dogs. We're we cat don't mind people. Anybody. We're cat people, and we don't mind the dogs. <laughs> Hummer has 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 found his form again. Big thick energy is officially back on the podcast. I'm glad to hear it. Um, I, I think it's a good thing that the Bearcats are playing a real competition again. I think it's good for their mental health. I think it's good that they can focus solely on winning football games and not worrying about BS, external, made-up, fairy tale factors that that do little in terms of reality when it comes to to where you end up in these playoff rankings. So they get to kind of move away from the the noise, from the chaos, from the narratives, and it's simply play winning football, three more games, SMU, East Carolina, Houston, take care of business, get to 13 and 0 and let the call cards fall where they may, because however you slice it at this point, the Bearcats have ripped off 18 consecutive regular season wins, 19 when you throw in the American athletic championship game from last season. This is historic. We cannot take it for granted. This is not something that happens every single year or every two years. This is something you build to, toward uh, when, when the coaching staff, when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to talent development, when it comes to everything kind of playing out right in terms of returning talent and the amount of senior leadership we have, don't take this team for granted. Enjoy every single second of this team doing something unprecedented at the University of Cincinnati. I love it. I love it. I'm here for it. But um, should we talk a little basketball? Should we talk about say. should we talk about Wes Miller 
being the first met- uh, new basketball head coach since like 1957 or 47 or sometime long before we were born uh, to actually start his career 4-0 as the Bearcats head coach? Well, I, I, I wanted to get there first, but I wanted to talk about Wes Miller, the Southern gentleman, Wes Miller. Uh, there was a lot of conversation on the game today about him wearing a jacket to the game. He's worn and, a jacket uh, to every single game, right? And how quickly he takes that jacket off. And people asking, why do you even bring the jacket? Because Wes is a Southern gentleman. All right. He exudes Southern gentleman energy. You know, I, I can't, I don't want to say it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's big Vic energy, but it's, it, Wes doesn't go. That's big Vic energy that we see on the court. Uh, I'm here for it. Wear the jacket, throw it off with style. Right. I, I kind of like reserving the removal from when you're really fired up. Now, the problem is Wes is always fired up. He was well, fired up since the minute he walked in the gym. I mean, I mean, you're throwing a tantrum at the referees. Like you are, you are truly disgusted with something they've done, and you're you're removing it for a dramatic effect to say, "Give me the tea. I want the tea. Get this crowd fired up. I want the tea. Give me the tea." But the problem that's is, what, that's what taking the tie. You take the tie off for that, right? Okay. That's when you. So you, <laughs> your true. your jacket comes off because you're hot. The tie gets loosened because you're in you're you're focused in the game and you want to be comfortable. The tie gets ripped off when you're angry. And uh, look, we saw Wes get angry tonight. I enjoyed it. He showed you how to do it the right way. You know, <laughs> what's your Mike I mean, Saunders? I think Mike about- Saunders Jr. comes in and he basically gets elbowed straight to the chest, knocked to the ground. They call him for a blocking foul. Horrendous call. Uh, but regardless, we saw we saw Wes get a little animated and discussing with the ref, like what he's seeing. Like, why are you calling that? Having the refs, he try to defend his egregious position on that call. Um, but it wasn't warranted in the situation that ripped the tie off because we didn't need a technical there. We didn't no, need no, anybody. No, no. You got to save those. Up. You only get a few of those, those each 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 season. You want those to really hit when you when, and deliver. When you, you get have one, them. two so, max, one to right. two a year, and you do them at home. Like it had. For the most oh, yeah. part, it has, to be, it has to be at home. Booed. You get booed if you're on the road. It's not even just on the road, but neutral court. Like maybe in a big game, maybe against Illinois, there could be a moment. But I think generally speaking, that's a home court move because fifth third will eat that shit up. Fifth third, <laughs> well, the roof will explode off the top of the building if Wes Miller reserves jacket slash tie removal for, I can't believe you called that a blocking foul on Mike Saunders Jr. in a critical moment of the game. <laughs> Yeah, I just rewatched. I, re- I just saw the replay of that. Uh, I have the the replay on the on my screen, and I literally they just replayed that exact play. I mean, Saunders went down hard, man. His head hit the hit the hit the hit the hardwood and everything. So I get why he's upset. I'm glad to see him out there doing it. And look, I'm glad he's reserving the tie for another day. But look, you keep wearing that jacket. You keep wearing that jacket. You take it off when you want. But you gotta you gotta leave the tie in place. You gotta leave some angry angry article clothing removal. That's good analysis by you. Let's let's kind of go through. I don't want to do let's a talk game about the shoes breakdown. Now. We're going to talk about the shoes. <laughs> We're not going to talk about the shoes, Armour. <laughs> <laughs> They're Under Armour, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> I I wanted to chat with you though. You know how much detail can you go into on a seventy nine forty five victory? I don't think that's going to do a bunch of good for for fans. But I, I want to talk more holistically about the first four games. Um, let me just list off some stats, though, from this game that capture the essence of what we just watched. Presbyterian went 15 of 52 from the field. That's 28% shooting. They went Hold two on, let, 50- me, let me check my math. Well, let me check my math. That's 28.8. Uh, so 
They went 2 of 15, 2 of 15 from 3 for 13.3%. They went, they they got out-rebounded by 9, 39-30. Only had four assists, which to me speaks volumes of the defense. It tells me no flow whatsoever, couldn't get into their sets, and had to largely lean on isolation plays to generate any sort of offensive production. Um, Bearcats turned the ball over nine times total. Uh, and Presbyterian, their largest deficit in this game was, was 34 points, which is, is the closing margin. This is an absolute demolition of a program that's not very good. But the Bearcats left no doubt in terms of how this game, what the outcome would be. Um, if we had one gripe with the Alabama A&M game, it's that in the first half, the defensive performance was subpar. Uh, they didn't come out with the energy and focus on that end, which has to be the calling card of this team to achieve their peak. Like if they're going to reach the heights, they, if they're going to maximize this roster and get everything they possibly can out of it, it starts on the defensive side of the court, uh, the defensive end of the court, and they have to be locked in on that, on that end of the court, game in, game out. And I thought that this was a great bounce back game in that regard where there was no lapse in focus and they held Presbyterian to 45 total points. Well. I, I can't let you get away too much with the three-point stat there because Presbyterian is this season a historically horrible three-point shooting team. Um, but just to use the uh, the old CFP index here, they did play Power 5, Power 5 Clemson, and only <laughs> lost by like nine. I mean, what's what's going on there, Clemson? You got you to gotta beat these teams by, by bigger margins. You got to put the style points. Uh, but no, like it's a good point. The defense is still there, and we're we're suffocating these teams that we should be, which is good. Uh, at the end of the day, these are coming out more like exhibition games. So, how much are we really gleaning from them? A few things. There are a few things we are we are learning from playing these exhibition games, and one of them is Big Dick Vic, BDV exudes real energy on the court. He's the real deal. Um, I think you have a, a very high affinity for him. I'm going to let you get in that. So I don't want to steal your thunder there. Um, we also know that I think we haven't seen well, these rotations tighten up either. So we I haven't. think we might, we, we, we might shouldn't see these. have, but let's, I, I don't want to just throw a mishmash at a board, like a mosaic, man. We gotta, you gotta kind of work through each of these topics. If you want to start with BDV, I'm happy to. All right, let's get, no, it, look, he is. He is, that's burying the lead. If we don't talk about him first, we're burying the lead. He's, he's, he's going to be the most, the most popular, the it thing in Cincinnati. He's going to end up uh, evolving into the most popular athlete in Cincinnati based on, based on early returns, based on him literally playing three games of basketball so far coming off the bench. Victor Lockin has been a revelation so far for the Bearcats. I think we're going to be talking about him a lot throughout the season. I don't necessarily think we need to empty the entire chamber today. But oh, no, you this. are. After what I've heard from you say off air, you are you are emptying the chamber, my friend. Eh, there's nothing that's being said off air. I'm going to put it in, in into writing. It's going to go into cincyslangan.com. By the way, make sure you go to cincyslangan.com and check out Sam Elliott's recent piece on um, his experience digesting everything that came uh, from Gary Barda and the gang of 13 this last week. Um, hopefully we'll get Sam to, to find a way to move on, but he's, uh, he's right to be passionate about that topic. Nonetheless, if we're talking about BDV, 
everybody is is gravitating to him, and already you can hear the the hyperbole, and it may not be hyperbole either of he's the best player on the team. Look, we have not seen a player. Did you say that's not hyperbole? I I, I feel like it's not that hyperbolic to say Victor Lockin could be the best player on this team. I don't know. I think there's a few guys on this team that are incredibly important. Jeremiah Davenport, because of his shooting and because of his energy and because of his consistency, is incredibly important. David DeJulius and his ability to break down a defense, even if he can't shoot very well, his ability to break down the defense, make a good pass, play solid defense on the other end, um, and just kind of, and, and again, be really solid game in, game out. That's very valuable. Micah Adams-Woods does all the little things. He can defend. He can knock down shots. He's played solid point guard. Very important player. Victor Lockin is in that same group. He is one of the, if not the most important player for this Bearcats team. And it's, it's especially when you start projecting it out in terms of his ability to protect the rim his ability to have the ball in his hands offensively and make elite passes, his ability to finish in the post or finish on like a mini floater in the lane. Like the guy has a skill set that we haven't seen from a big man this early since like, I'm, I'm scared to even say it since Danny Fortson. Like he's, he's so gifted down low and has such nice touch. It's, it's the potential is crazy. Hummer. Look, I love it, man. Uh, you can't, you can't put, he, what's the best way to describe it is he's, he's your, he's your X factor. You don't quite, is it X factors I'm trying to go for? He's like, you know, he's good, but how good is he? What is the ceiling for this year being that it's his first year in college basketball, right? The game isn't too fast for him. We know that. So it's not one of those situations where we have to, we have to wait for him to grow up a little bit, and let the game come to him. Yeah. He may, he might make a few freshman mistakes here and there, but you know, how fast is he going to improve this season? Because, look, even this is Presbyterian. I get it. He's scoring 10 points, but this is not this is not a, you know, a big man from Wisconsin issue where it's a one trick pony. You know, he you don't just throw the ball to him. You mentioned this before. Like he's he's an outlet that you can run the offense through and not just when he gets the ball, he's going straight to the hoop. He's looking for backdoor cuts. He has a vision on the court that he's able to create for others when the ball's in his hands. So, you know, he's a little bit of that X factor there. And maybe this is an, a year where this team is, is going to go as far as, as not only Lichter as, as Der Jeremiah Davenport, obviously, you know, when you say best player on the court, I'm still looking towards J Jeremiah's Jeremiah's way, but Victor Lockett, I think needs to be in that conversation of how far will this team go this year? It goes as far as Davenport and lock lock and take it. And I see people already clamoring for him to start. I actually don't mind how Wes Miller is using him early on this season. This is a guy who missed the entire 2020 season because of a knee injury. He had another knee injury during the preseason that fortunately was not serious and did not keep him from starting the season. He also has twisted an ankle already. He has also suffered from cramps. Like if there's, if there's a common theme here, injuries could potentially be a factor, so, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense to overuse the guy. And for a team that does struggle offensively, if we're starting our games with David DeJulius and Micah Adams-Woods and Jeremiah Davenport, three of our better offensive players already on the court, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me 
to come off the bench with a guy like Victor Lockin, who can sort of be that. I mean, usually you think of the six man as like a guard, a guard who can score and facilitate, but you know, Mike Saunders Jr. is in that role, but he's not a scorer. Victor Lockin coming off the bench and sort of being the spearhead of that unit, whether it being be able to post him up, he can kind of operate from the high post and, and, and find different shooters. I think that's interesting. And I think that's a good cheeky usage from Wes Miller that, that I personally appreciate. And so you're not going to hear me clamoring for him to be in the starting lineup for some, for appearances. I think, I think when we're playing better competition and we're up against Illinois and we're playing against Arkansas or Kansas state, you're going to see Wes Miller lean on the best players in the most high leverage moments. And I suspect Victor Lockin will be in, be in the game in most of those moments. If, if we're talking starting lineup, the only thing that I actually think that I might want to see switched out is uh, I might want to see Oguama actually starting uh, over over Adu. I'm not even there I, because again, I mean, I'm not is... there. I'm not there. It's not like it's terrible. I'm just saying, like, if there was one thing to nitpick, I might go that route. Right, but I, but today in the second half in particular, we finally saw Abdul Adu really find his footing for the first time as a Bearcat. He was dominant defensively in the second half. Wes Miller joked about it in the post-game show, telling uh, apparently as he came out on the court to to do the post-game show with Terry and Dan, the last thing he said to the team was sort of like, welcome to Cincinnati, Abdullah Du, uh, because he had, he had had such trouble adjusting to this new defensive system. And you know, that's on that's honesty from West Miller to say, yeah, we're we're not ignoring the fact. I'm not aloof to the fact that that Adu has struggled in his first three games, but he's also acknowledging, like, hey, there is a learning curve here, and there is a reason why I, I do have him in my starting lineup and I do intend to lean on him um this season. And it's because he spearheaded a very effective Mississippi State defense. He's incredibly large, he is a defensive presence, and he should be able to rebound well. And I think those things are important for this team. Yeah, like I said, nothing wrong with it. Like I said, it's it's a nitpick. It's nitpicking, and it's it's not necessarily something that's right now. We don't have any concerns because we don't have any. The, the competition we're playing is obviously very very subpar compared to us. Even Georgia, for even though we let them back into the game, that game was one where we controlled that. They're a middle of the pack team in terms of NCAA talent. Uh, where they fall in Kempom, where they fall, where they're gonna fall if you went and ranked every team if you, if you could from the matrix. So it is, it's fine. We're good right now. We are fine. We're still learning what we're players are getting up to speed. And I think it's going to be okay. What I am getting excited about what is getting my juices flowing is that we're going to see a real test on Monday. I am pumped about that. I like win or lose. It's fine. Like the result is, you know, I'm not as worried about the result on Monday as I am about seeing what this team is going to do against really good competition because it's going to give us a, a litmus test of what we can expect for the rest of the year. And I'm pumped about that. I think this might be the first game we see those lineups tighten up. I think you're right. This is where the first time where we're going to see these players being used. Like we might see more Victor simply because we need him in those high leverage situations. We need the talent on the court to be able to compete. So I'm, I am very, very curious to see how that, how that game is played, how that game is coached by Wes Miller on November 22nd. 
the thing is he he's going to have to still lean on the depth because I would say when you have a bum ankle like Lockin has, I don't think he has the option of just ramping up his minutes all of a sudden. I think he's going to be right now, uh, you know, like a, an 18 to 20 minute per game player. Um, that's, that's the beauty of having the depth. I think of anything, everybody, I'm happy with 18 to 20 though. You know, I'm happy with gorgeous. That. I know. Of course, if you read our, if you read our preview on since for the basketball season, the, the the thing that we really knew coming into the season that we would be impressed by was our front court de- front court depth, and that has completely come true. Like the four guys, Koval, Adu, Lockin, and Aguama, have been outstanding, and you can see each of them have their own unique style in the game. Koval is remarkable at challenging shots at the rim and having timing and using and trusting his length and not feeling the need to fall for a pump fake or or, or or commit unnecessary fouls. He's elite at rim protection. He is very like Roy Hibbert-esque in terms of how he protects the rim. And then you've got Oguama running around out there just grabbing everything in sight, tons of energy, tons of athleticism. Those four are, are just such a massive luxury for Wes Miller. Oh, it's huge. And, you know, the other thing that's, that strikes me about Koval is watching him today. And it's like, you got to take these games with a grain of salt, but he, he's not a point guard, so I'm not saying he's a point guard. But he can at least – he's competent enough to be able to handle the ball and dribble it up to the top of the key and pass it and move around and not just be stuck if he gets the ball outside the perimeter. Who? Hayden Koval. <laughs> what did I say? I thought – no, I – I don't know who you're describing. He's not going to be dribbling it around like a point guard in any way, shape, or no, form. No, no, no. I'm watching him get the ball, though, and as a big man, not be stuck getting it behind the arc and not being able to do anything with it. Oh, sure, sure. Least, well, he can, he can set move. screens. He has a he little can... bit of mo- mobility to him. And sure. he can, and he can, if he's open, he can take the shot. Yes. So he, he can stretch the floor, shoot a three. Yes. He's rebounded well. He's rebounded better than I expected. I thought that was going to be the one kind of knock on him. So far against inferior competition, he's been solid on the boards. He also um, eats minutes. He's a minute. He eats minutes on the court. He's, oh, he's great. He's fantastic. And, and so you really, that's what I'm saying. Like we, you really can't nitpick any sort of way. The great, the great news is, is it seems like every combination in some way, shape or form has been productive for the Bearcats. You know, when Koval and Lockin play together, it's very productive. Tons of rim protection. When Oguama and Lockin play together, Oguama, offers that that high energy, high twitch um, rebounding and athleticism that that offsets Lockin, even though they're both they're both big and, and good around the rim. And then a do, you know, maybe you would you're not as inclined to put a do with Oguama because of the the lack of shooting, but you could pretty much put a do with Lockin, with Koval or with Davenport and it works well. So I I love the fact that these guys all can be mixed and matched very well on the court. Yeah, there doesn't really seem to be some like combination that you're just like, oh, that's gross. Like that's not working. And so I think that's going to be good going down the road here too as we get these tougher teams that we're going to be able to mix and match up and, and play pretty much almost any kind of lineup that we're going to need to against these teams. And you know what I'm also going to love about this team? I don't think you're going to hear us one time this year saying, "Oh, we should have switched to playing a small ball. Get to go to a small lineup." We're <laughs> no, back, way. <laughs> no way. No, 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 no way. No way, man. No going small. <laughs> no, no going, going small. small. Yeah, we're not we're not desperate for that at all. I think uh the the different skill sets amongst the big men makes it so that you can be 
smaller while still protecting the rim. And, and that's the beauty of the team. Let's make sure we're also talking about the backcourt though, because there are some more interesting things happening there. DeJulius and Adams Woods are playing. Adams Woods is playing before this fourth game, uh, 26.7 minutes a game. DeJulius, 24 minutes a game. Two of the higher minute guys on the team. Clearly, Wes Miller has put a lot of faith in those two guys. And you're seeing him sprinkle in a little bit of Madsen, a little bit of Saunders. Um, and then obviously before the injury, less so McGinnis. But what's been your what's been your initial feedback or takeaways from watching watching that starting backcourt so far? They control the ball. They handle the ball very well. They're not turning it over. It's it's allowing uh, it's allowing us to do do more things that we weren't able to do in previous in the past two seasons because last year we know that was like a disaster like the, the turnover margin was was horrendous we're through the first four games of the year and I don't think we've had a game of, with over ten turnovers so they're controlling the ball very very well they're making smart decisions when they have the ball in their hand and they're I think they're doing a good job of controlling the pace of the game you know if if so Mikey Saunders has the ball in his hand we seem to be moving a little faster right. The joyous seems to be a little more of a, a, a general in a sense that he's he's trying to scope out what's open, what's next, where can I where can I move the ball around, um, and so I think I think that's been phenomenal. We've had phenomenal play from from those three guys, and it's very very clear that that is like the pecking order. Is that you have David joyous I think you have actually Mike Saunders Jr. gets gets in there with more of the point guard, and then I think. Adams Woods slides right in there in that in that like third in well, that rotation. That's the thing. Adams Woods has been the point guard so far this season. He's averaging 4.7 assists. He's been the primary guy bringing the ball up the court. DeJulius certainly can operate in that role, but the big switcheroo that happened this season from going from Brandon to Wes Miller is that Miller is more intent on seeing Shuey as that, that primary ball handler facilitator for the Bearcats. It seems to have gotten him just more engaged game to game. It seems like by operating more as the point guard, he's been more aggressive attacking the rim. And I'm talking about Shuey. Um, he, his handle looks tightened up this season. He's starting to knock down his three pointers and, and he's always been a low turnover guy. He's, you know, coming into the Presbyterian game, he was averaging 0.7 turnovers a game with a, with 4.7 assists. It's an incredible ratio. So it's kind of, it's in the same mold as a Justin Jennifer or a Troy Copain where it's very low risk basketball we don't turn it over. We just make solid play after solid play after solid play. And it pairs very well with the Julius. Again, we're basically running a two point guard lineup at all times, which is, is going to be great for keeping turnovers down and, and not seeing them spike to the high teens or twenties as we did in the past couple seasons. Oh, it is going to be very obvious that winning the turnover battle winning the battle on the glass is going to be the key to every game this season. The key to victory for the Bearcats will be keep turnovers under 10. It's, it's like, it's like, Oh, we're watching Mick Cronin basketball again. Keep turnovers under 10, beat your opponent on the glass. Like that is going to be the key to victory, especially when we get in these tougher matchups where we're looking for upsets that that is going to be the key. Take care of the basketball. Give yourself second second chance points. Solid guard play wins, wins in March against Presbyterian. Adams Woods to Julius played a combined 41 minutes, zero turnovers, seven assists. That's that's just beautiful. It's music to my ears. And then um, my boy, my boy, my boy Ice Mike comes in. I'm gonna pick on you a little bit here, bud. Two turnovers. <laughs> but you know what? I you know what? I I, I do I expect him to be as good at, at handling the ball 
not necessarily because he's so fast. Like you're, you can't, can you be that fast and not turn the ball over every once in a while? I actually, it's almost like, it's like, yeah. it's like, it's like, I, it's like a black cat defense, right? Black cat offense, be aggressive, go in there quick. You're going to turn the ball over every once in a while. Bingo. When he comes in the game, Wes Miller is looking for him to push the pace. Now that's not an excuse to turn the ball over, obviously. And some of the turnovers he has are just kind of brain farts on the court. Those will decrease as the season goes on. But I love that he's this change of change of pace point guard who comes in the game. You know, he's locking up on defense and you can tell he knows his role is to come in and wreak havoc defensively. He's trying to draw charges, which obviously frustrate the living hell out of you when you're a college basketball fan against a guy like Mike Saunders Jr. who's up in your in, in the offensive player's chest. He's moving his feet. He's he's maybe maybe embellishing contact a little bit. It's beautiful. I, I think that's the exact kind of player you can see wreaking havoc later in the season in conference play and conference tournaments and, 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 and hopefully NCAA tournaments. I love what Mike Saunders Jr. has brought to the court so far. So you're saying he went to the LeBron James School of Acting He's learning how to get those fouls called. I love it. I do have a question for you, though. And not, not that this is a concern necessarily, but there's probably going to be some of these games where, like, you need a guy who's just going to, who can take it over. Like, you know, he's just going to put the game on his shoulders. Everybody's kind of struggling. Because right now, like, this is all, this is all rosy, right? Every, we got a game where we're playing 12, 11, 10, 11, 12 guys. They're all scoring. There's not really, like, yeah, you got, Davenport comes in with 16 today and he did that on limited minutes, which is fantastic. You know, you got Victor locking with 10, but when you need to have like two or three guys, you know, who are just, who are just going to be scoring and, and being the offense, who, who's the guy who's taking it over? It's going to be a combination of, of DeJulius and Davenport. And I think it's going to be more team focused than it would be one individual guy. DeJulius is elite at breaking down a defender. He can get his own shot anytime he wants. The problem is he's not that great of a shooter. Davenport, maybe not as great at breaking down his defender. Although what I have seen recently with him is taking advantage of the fact that he's the 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, physical, strong body, and taking guys to the rim. Because he's obviously an elite three-point shooter. His, his percentage has already gone up this season. He's up at 38.9% from three. Um, well, that was after three games, but if he starts learning and getting comfortable with the ball in his hands and the ability to body a man into the paint and get an easy layup, he can't be guarded most times because there's not a lot of six, seven wings in college basketball to defend him. So he can be a matchup nightmare. And I could see like a two man game between the likes of DeJulius and, and, and Davenport down the stretch. Georgia was a great example of that. If you look at the Georgia game and the types of shots we got late in that matchup, Davenport at the rim, uh, to Julius with a pick and pop, to Koval, which got a wide-open three-pointer for him. He nailed it. I think you're going to see a lot of that. I think the ball goes into uh, to Julius's hands or maybe even a Micah Adams-Woods, and they start creating for guys like Davenport and, and other guys who can finish around the rim. Now, speaking of, you mentioned to Julius with, with uh, not, being, not being necessarily a shooter. Uh, seeing any problems there with some other guys on the court, maybe just uh, maybe not looking for that extra pass, maybe just uh, getting the ball and, and, and playing Papa shot. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice it as much against Presbyterian, but against Alabama AM, our offensive flow is terrible. And, and it wasn't terrible all game, 
but there was just a lot of settling for one-on-one. And, and, and one player who jumps out to me, John Newman III, who's playing, I think he was leading the team or second in the team in minutes coming into the Presbyterian game. He He's extremely confident. We have a lot of confident guys on this team. I think that's a good thing. Wes Miller talked about preseason, wanting to sort of build up the confidence and emotional health of this team so that they're not dwelling on mistakes. I'm happy they're they're comfortable making mistakes on the court, but Newman has been so much better offensively when he's attacking the rim. You know, maybe a, a small little post up on a smaller guard has been effective for him. Driving and slashing with his athleticism has been effective for him. When he settles for a three-point shot, not the best outcome for the team. So I hope to see Newman continue to sort of find that energy and aggressiveness offensively because defensively he's a stud. Wes Miller and the coaching staff are, are openly talking about him being the best defender on the team, and we're going to need that as we get into matchups against the likes of uh, Illinois, Xavier with Scruggs. Um, you know, Is he, he still playing college basketball? I feel like I've been hearing his name for like 10 years. He, he is still playing college basketball. And so I think his, his role is important. It's just sort of how do, you, how do you find a way to be aggressive but not settle? And I think there's, there's guys on the team that have to find that rhythm. And the other one I've heard you talk about too is uh, Mason Madsen needing maybe a little more patience um, because he should be shooting. He should be shooting in the, in the like, what, 40, 30, 40%, 40 from three? Well, I think, I think Mason's a good enough shooter to be a 40% three-point shooter. To me, he's, he's been someone who's just struggled to find his rhythm so far early in the year. Um, he's coming off the bench. You want him to be that spark plug. I don't know that they're finding the best opportunities for him to get open off ball. Um, to me, it's a shot selection thing. The only thing keeping Mason Madsen from being a 40% three-point shooter is shot selection. And in, you know, if you're not able to get a shot off for a few possessions in a row, you know your minutes are already limited. It can be tempting to find a way to just like pull off, you know, a little step back jumper here, a little off balance three-pointer here. I know he's got a green light. He should have a green light, but I feel like if he lets it come to him a little bit more and, and really just hones in on shot selection, he's going to be that much more effective because he really can space the floor and knock him down. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to disagree with you on that. I do. I do think he needs to find some better shot selection because like right now, like frankly, his he's actually shooting better from three than he is from the field. <laughs> Uh, which, which is, is uh, usually the, uh, obviously the other way around there. Um, but he's, look, he's, he reminds me of that guy. He's just going to come in and you, you expect him if he gets the ball in the corner and you're open, let it fly. It's going in. Oh, no like, doubt. You, no doubt. And, he's that, a green and that's light. what we need. Yeah. Green light. But yeah, you need to get the better shot selection because we know he has the ability to do it. And I've seen him try to, at least in, in against Presbyterian, he, he looked like he was trying to, you know, penetrate the lane a little at times. And it's like, I don't, it's just not, it does not his rhythm. It doesn't seem like that's his particular game yet. No, but it's a good opportunity to practice that like against Presbyterian in a, in a second half where you've got nearly a 30 point lead. I'm cool with, with Mason Madsen working on, on those types of maybe outside the box things where he's, it's not maybe his forte yet, but he should be able to expand in that. And I'm pretty sure Wes Miller intends for him to, to, to add that to his repertoire going forward. But right now, you know, he's definitely, he's definitely a shooter. Like that's his role. You've seen him. I think if one thing has jumped out, if you want to talk about the highlights a couple of times this season, he's met dudes at the rim. 
So he's got oh, this yeah. 40, this 44 inch vertical. He's you been practicing really... that. He's been practicing that vertical. You've, For you know, sure. I think, I think he gained three inches on it over the off season. Well, there's not an opportunity to use it offensively too much, right? Like uh, your vertical jump's not usually going to pop off the page uh, when you attempt a three-point shot, unless you're like Ray Allen, who jumped maybe 36 inches on every three. Uh, but defensively, he is he can rise, and he's been challenging guys at the rim as a six-three guard, which is which is incredibly impressive. I love it. I love I feel, it. You know, feel, you know what else I'm loving about this, this team? Great. This is great. I just feel so good, just kind of like waxing poetic about everything we're seeing on the court. It's such a fun team. It's a loaded team. It's a deep team. You're, you're watching them have fun. It just, it's a different energy than the last like couple years, you know, just you're feeling it and it's, it just feels good. Uh, like uh, there's no drama. There's no there drama. Is. It's nice. You know, we don't even need to force it. Homer. Let's just let I'm it not be. I'm going to force it. Let the I'm going to force itself. one thing. I'm going to force one thing because we should have done this at the beginning. Because we've been doing the, uh, if you're getting, we're getting close to a thousand followers on Twitter. We've already hit our 50,000 download. We had our, our Canadian friend, Mitch on. And look, I think, I think at some point, and if you guys are down for this, let us know on Twitter. Like we want to get Mitch to a UC basketball game. He's never been to a home game. He's never been to Cincinnati period. He's never been to Cincinnati period. So like, do we need to get a, a GoFundMe page started to get Mitch to homecoming to get Mitch to senior night, get Mitch to senior night. I love it. Right. I think, I think that's the thing, but the one thing we have been doing is reading the five-star review of the week. So this is what we're going to close the podcast on. I got one here uh, left November 9th from Mike Nuzo. Did we say that Nuzo? A couple double Z's in there. First class. That's the title. We're already starting off great. <laughs> First class. This Love is so that flattering, flattering five stars. Coomer and Hummer are fantastic. Top notch professional audio and have great guests. I love the fact that they're unapologetically homers overall. My number one podcast that I watch for new episodes every morning. When I wake up, love the intro song. I could go on and on a must follow. Cheers, boys. Go Bearcats. That was awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you for the, for the kind words. Uh, Mike, here's the thing that I love the most about it though, Hummer, and we continue to talk about this and think about ways that we can make it even better. But his comment about the professional audio, I, I legitimately do take pride in trying to have elite audio on our podcast. And it's certainly not a finished product. Um, I think there's things that can be done to improve it and tweak it. We're thinking about those things and we're, and we're figuring out how to best manage that. But that is something we try and do is to make this top-notch audio because that's if there's one thing i need uh when it comes to podcasts that i personally listen to it's, it's got to be good audio so I, I appreciate that mike thank you for noticing thank you for the kind words and please if you're so kind as to to leave us a five-star review on itunes we certainly would not mind that thank you very much and if you want drop a question in it we'll answer it here until a thousand follows we're going to answer any question in those reviews Come on, give us your best. <laughs> We're here for it. Anyway, Hummer, let's leave it there. On Monday, big matchup coming up against Illinois. We have a very special guest, at least to us, our, near and dear to our hearts, coming on Sunday to, to help us preview the Illinois game. Someone who is actually an Illinois fan. Um, oh, you guys are going to hate him. 
uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you. You will hate this guy. Um, Cause he's like, he's also a Cubs fan. So he's like the worst type of human being when it comes Oof. to sports fandom ship. Like he's a great guy and, you know, outside of sports, but when it comes to sports fandom, he's like the worst. Wonderful right? guy, funny guy, but he's funny an guy. fan and he's a Cubs fan. Yeah. And so we're going to, we're going to, we're going to show why the, the 98th ranked Kempom Bearcats are going to absolutely dismantle the sixth ranked Illinois fighting Illini. What the heck is that? Get out of here. Are they number six or are they number 10? I got number six uh, on my, on my Kempom dashboard oh, here. That's right. Hummer does everything through Kempom. So he's never actually citing. I don't like a look. I got, look, I got a statistical website that ranks teams for me. That's not done by voting. Give it to me all day, every day. And with basketball, look, it's easier. It's easier to do that with basketball because the difference between like 160 and 300 isn't really that like right. it's wide, but it's not that wide, you know? Well, let's see where they are come Monday, but right now they're actually the number 10 ranked team in the country. AP, um, AP doesn't count, man. Kempom's where it's at. Right. Kempom okay. actually gets taken into account when we look at net rankings. All right. AP does not. <laughs> we'll be fighting. And if this that's battle. false, and if that is false, I don't care. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> so let me ask you this, this hypothetical. Let's say that in a few short weeks, the Bearcats find themselves at number 25 in the country in the AP poll, but Ken Palm, Ken Palm's got us at what? 39. Oh, I'm going to be pissed. Which one are you citing at that point though? Are you still saying the number 39 Bearcats? Or are you going to say number 25? Uh, I'm probably going to go the popularity poll takes us at number 25. So I'm happy about that. People like the Bearcats. We're a likable team. Ken Palm, for some reason, their, their, their math is wrong. It's well, off. We're, we're rising rapidly. We are rapidly rising. rising. I think rapidly. we've moved <laughs> rising rapidly. Um, anyway, we're rambling. Hummer, let's leave it there. We will talk uh, early next week. In the meantime, Godspeed to our Bearcats against SMU. Big senior senior day coming up here. And then uh, we'll look forward to that Bearcats-Illinois matchup. Cheers, buddy. Cheers.